to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Uh, like we had done earlier in this series, I'm not taking the whole chapter uh, just for the sake of where I believe the author's breaking up his, uh, transitioning his thoughts. We'll do the first 12 verses of chapter 9 tonight, and then uh, next time we'll finish up 9 and do all of 10. All right, so we've seen this before. <laughs> seen this before. Uh, I may even do it again with 11 and 12, but I'm not sure yet. But for sure, we'll do it here for 9 and 10. But we'll still finish. Uh, j- just so you guys know, uh, you'll be praying for our brother Alex Ayala. He'll be preaching next week. Um, so looking forward to that. So we'll be praying for his time in preparation of the work. Um, then we'll be off for Thanksgiving. And then uh, the, the next three, I'll finish up book Ecclesiastes. Uh, and then we'll have our Christmas party and then be done for, this, for the calendar year. But please follow along. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. Please follow along with me as I read out loud. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all. Since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. And forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go. Eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol. To which you are going. Again I saw that under the sun. The race is not to the swift. Nor the battle to the strong. Nor bread to the wise. Nor riches to the intelligent. Nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance. Happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken. In an evil net. And like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man. Are snared at an evil time. When it suddenly falls upon them. And we'll stop there. Heavy passage in a lot of ways. Let me pray for God's grace in our time in his word. Lord God, I pray, Lord, for your strength. God, that you would use me to preach your truth, your truth alone. Lord, I would not get in the way of your truth. Lord, allow me to speak with clarity and accuracy of your word. 
But we pray that you would meet us and you would minister to our hearts. God, as we approach maybe a difficult passage for many of us, Lord, help us receive it with humility and help us receive it with joy and hope. Lord, most of all, may you be glorified and may we worship you in this time. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, as many of you uh, likely know, if you've been here for long enough or you know me for long enough, uh, you know that me and my wife have had three miscarriages in our marriage. Uh, what that means is that uh, three of her pregnancies uh, ended in death uh, before the baby was born. Uh, it was very difficult for us, uh, each one in different ways. Uh, by God's grace, I'm very thankful we have two healthy children today. Uh, but I remember that our first child that we lost, his name is Reuben, uh, was maybe the most difficult in, in various ways. Uh, and he was the oldest, uh, got the furthest in the pregnancy that uh, we lost. And I remember when he had died, uh, just the overwhelming amount of sorrow uh, and sadness. And me and my wife just weeping day after day. And I remember both of us felt this way. I speak on her behalf. We've shared this together uh, with one another. But I'll even just say for myself, I remember thinking, I, I, I don't know when I will be able to be happy again. And obviously, outside, like looking back, I know that that's just not true. Um, but in that moment, thinking, I, th- there cannot be a day in which I no longer cry. There cannot be a day in which I can be happy again and move on with life. And, and feel okay with that. I remember feeling guilty when we would laugh with friends. When we would have a, a good time. And feeling guilty like we, we, we cannot enjoy life. Like it is wrong for us to stop mourning, to stop crying for him. And just to be laughing and having a good time. And it was something that we struggled with for a long time. Solomon here now observes the finality and the inevitability of death. And maybe with the negative tone that he's had so far, one would think that maybe he would have similar feelings that I had. That as he observes death, maybe he, Solomon would have similar feelings of, look, there's death all around us. Like, we can't be happy. What is there to be happy about? We can't enjoy life. All there is is death. All I see is everything ends in death. Maybe we would think that That's where he would go. However, it's actually not the case. Solomon does not end his observations with with just death and saying that's it. And he doesn't conclude that we can't be happy. He doesn't conclude, therefore, we can't enjoy life. But instead, actually, the reality of death causes him to promote life. The reality of death causes him to promote the enjoyment of life. This passage is is not simply to discuss the the despair of death, although it is something that we're going to need to address and face in this passage. Can't avoid it. But really, it's mostly to promote life. I think that's the intent of this passage. It's promote life and to promote the enjoyment in life. And so tonight we're going to look at two questions regarding the enjoyment of life. The first question is, why should we enjoy life? 
Why should we enjoy life? And the answer that he's going to give us is that we should enjoy life because of what we know about death. And then the second question we're going to ask is, well, what should we enjoy in life? And the answer he's going to give us is that we should enjoy the gifts that God has given us in this life. So that's where we're going tonight. Looking at enjoying life even through the despair of death. So first, that first question of why should we enjoy life? Our first main point is that answer, to enjoy life because of death. Enjoy life because of death, verses 1 through 6. And then I'm going to throw 11 through 12 in there. I'll explain why later. Enjoy life because of death. The first thing we notice here, the first sub-point, is that life will end for all, verses 1 through 3. Life will end for all. And before we start talking about the enjoyment and how this gives us enjoyment in life, we need to address this. We need to, we can't avoid this reality that life will end for all. Death is not something that people often like to talk about. And I know maybe it's even, is, has, I will hit sensitive chords uh, in this group. We know that we've experienced death very closely in this group. And we think of the Leffler family who's here. think of the Hawkins family who's here. And we think of others maybe that have lost loved ones recently. And it's uncomfortable, death is. And it's sad. And it's scary. I think even in some ways we avoid maybe sometimes saying the word death. We prefer to say things like they pass, or they're no longer with us, they're in a better place, they went home, things like that. There's nothing wrong with saying these things. In fact, it's true, right? They're, if they're in the Lord, yeah, they, they're in a better place. They did. They went home. But it might be just an indication of how uncomfortable we are with death. The fact that we may not even want to use that word, death. But the Bible speaks a lot on death, and it's important to understand rightly what the Bible says about it. And what we see here in the first three verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 9 is that death awaits us all. That it is inevitable for every single one of us. And verse 1 shows us that God is the one who's sovereign over it. That God sovereignly rules over our lives. Verse 1 he says, But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Our lives are in the hands of God. And while we live responsibly and we make wise choices, at least we ought to, ultimately God is in control of our life and our death. And we could drink all the uh, super uh, organic superfood drinks and, and supplements and diets and the workout plans, which are all great. Nothing wrong with that. But none of them will prolong our lives longer than God intends for us to live. May God use these things as a means to bring us to that day in which he wills us to live? Will God use these things as a means to help us reach a certain age? Yeah, sure. But, but the point is that God is the one who sovereignly rules, who is the one whose, whose power our lives rest in. Not ours, but God's. Our lives are in the hands of God. There are no accidental deaths with God. 
Hebrews 9.27 says that death is appointed for man. God has appointed the days we live, and he has appointed the days that we, or the day that we die. Solomon's point is that it doesn't matter if you're righteous or if you're wicked, you will die. That's what he's getting at, verses 2 through 3. It doesn't matter if you are good or if you are evil, if you are clean or if you are unclean, if you're rich or poor, whatever it might be, death will come to all of us. We've said many times in the study of Ecclesiastes that what? Death is the great equalizer. You cannot escape it. Your righteousness will not prevent it. Your riches will not prevent it. Your offerings to God will not prevent it. Death is inevitable. Why is death inevitable? Well, ultimately, or what we see is because of the fall. Because of sin. Right? The wages of sin is death. And we have all sinned, and we are all sinners, and we are all deserving of death. Not only are we all spiritually dead, apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit giving us new life, but we will all physically die. This is the consequence of sin. And it's a horrible thing. And when we see death in this life, we ought to remember how horrible and how gross sin is. Death is a result of the fall. And I hate it. I think that the, the pinnacle of, of, of the scandalous nature of death is the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when we reflect on the death of Christ, we ought to be reminded of how serious God takes sin and how disgusting sin is that our perfect Lord died for our sins. And so from that standpoint, let us remember to not take sin lightly. Sin is gross and is ugly. And it's because of sin that there is death. But death does not have the final word. Christ has the final word. And he defeated death. And in him and in Christ there is life. And there is eternal life. And there is no longer eternal death in Jesus Christ. And so in that we rejoice. And we know that of that eternal hope. And we're going to get more to that later. But what about life now? How can we enjoy life now knowing that death awaits us? I actually think it goes hand in hand. I think that's kind of Solomon's point. Is that knowing that death awaits us ought to bring us to enjoy life all the more. Even now. You see that? That's kind of his point. Is that knowing that death awaits all of us, that ought to bring us to enjoy, enjoy life now. When we see death in this life, it ought to bring us to enjoy the life. When we, did I say that right? When we see death, yeah, when we see death in this life, it ought to bring us to enjoy the life that we still have. I remember when I heard of the horrible news that Leanna Leffler had died. I remember where I was. Remember how I heard it. And I was on the plane. I was, actually, I was flying. I was with my family. When Jason called me, and I didn't answer, obviously I couldn't. Because I didn't have service. And we land. 
And I have my family there. My wife, my five-month-old daughter at the time, she's five months old. Myself, my son was with his grandparents. And we land, and my wife gives me Hosanna. I'm holding her. And my wife's packing up diaper bag and all this stuff, and I turn on my phone, and I see the message. And I remember as soon as I had saw what had happened, I held Hosanna tight, tighter than I ever have, and I started weeping. And I tell her how much I love her. I told her I love you, and I love you, and I kissed her. And I didn't want to let her go. This is what Solomon is getting at. That seeing the death of others ought to bring you to enjoy the life of those you still have. Of course, I love my daughter. And I always held her tight. But I held her tighter in that moment than I ever have. That's what he's getting at. Do do not let the inevitability of death bring you to a a, a paralyzing sorrow. But what he's saying is let the inevitability of death bring you to enjoy the life that is around you. Enjoy the life of your loved ones. Enjoy your life. Because one day your life will be done. One day the, the life of your loved ones will be done. Death awaits us all, is what he's saying. And so he says, enjoy life now, knowing that in its time it will be gone. Everyone's life in this room will be gone. And so he says, enjoy it. When you see the fragility of death, let it remind you life will end. And so enjoy the life that you have today. Enjoy the loved ones that you have today. So seeing the the death and all ought to give us an enjoyment of the life that we have today. Next, life provides opportunity. Verses 4 through 6. Life provides opportunity. Now Solomon gives an example here and compares a living dog to a dead lion. And it may sound like a a strange example, especially to modern ears. Like why talk about a living dog and a dead lion? It's important to understand that that in the ancient world, how they viewed lions and how they viewed dogs. They they viewed lions as this prestigious, noble creature. And they viewed dogs as this low, gross creature. Creature. Like do- dogs were like vultures or like rats. In fact, even if you read a lot in the Old Testament, you'll see like they, they would eat the flesh and the blood of dead carcasses. So dogs were gross, right? You wouldn't have them as pets like you do today. So, so, so to say that a living dog, something gross like that, is better than a dead lion, like a, a noble creature like that? To say a living dog is better than a noble lion, that's, that's quite a statement. Like what are you talking about? One would think it'd be better to be a noble creature that's dead, like the lion, than a wicked creature that's alive, like this dog. His point, however, is that it's better to be alive, even if you're gross like a dog, than it is to be dead. 
even if you're a noble lion. Because if you are alive, you have opportunity that a dead person does not have. That's what he's getting at. Because when you are dead, you're dead. And you have no more opportunity. There's nothing that a dead person can do, no, no matter how noble they might be. But life provides you opportunity. Even if you are a dog, even if you are this gross dog, you're still alive. You're a live dog. And so you have opportunity that this dead lion doesn't have. And right now, everyone I'm talking to is alive, as far as I know, I hope, still. And so your life that you have, it provides you opportunity. You have opportunity as a live person. The question is, how are you using your opportunity? How are you using your life to the fullest? Let me say this. I want you to listen very closely because it's very important. If you are alive and you are not in Christ, if you are not a Christian, I want you to listen very, very closely. Do not waste this opportunity that you have right now being alive. Do you understand that? If you are not in Christ, do not waste this opportunity. Because the truth is that you should be dead right now. That's the truth. Because the wages of sin is death. And yet you are alive. The second you sin is the second that you should be dead. Ananias and Sapphira, they lied and boom, they're struck down dead immediately. That is exactly what should happen to every single one of us because we are sinful creatures who have sinned against a holy God. But God, in his patience, is sparing you right now. Do you understand that? If you are not a Christian right now, God, in his patience, is sparing you. And you can waste this patience and you can waste this opportunity that you have. You can waste it to, to, to spend on, on worldly things and worldly pursuits and on, on, on riches and fame and sex. And you can continue to rebel against God and waste this opportunity. And one day you will be dead. And at that point, that opportunity will be gone. The alive person has opportunity that the dead person does not have. And the greatest opportunity that you have right now, non-Christian, that you will not have when you die, is to turn to Christ in faith and repentance. That is an opportunity that you have right now as an alive person that you will not have when you are dead. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. But at that point it will be too late for you. Will you now... I'm speaking to the non-Christian. Will you now, while you are alive, bow the knee and confess the tongue? Tomorrow is not promised. What is promised is that one day you will die. Do not forfeit the free gift of salvation that God offers through His Son, Jesus Christ. 
This is the, the, the biggest mistake you could ever make. And it has eternal consequences. You have opportunity now as alive to repent of your sins and turn to Christ in faith. Do not waste that opportunity. Now, if you are alive and you are a Christian, I tell you, listen to this, Christian. Do not waste the days that you have. You have opportunity that the dead person does not have and opportunities that you will one day never have again. Do you realize that, Christian? You've been given one life to live here on earth, and one day that will end. And you will not have the opportunities that you have right now. And one of the greatest opportunities you have now that you will not have in eternity is evangelizing to the lost. One day you will be with God. And how many lost souls will be there with you? How many? How many lost souls will be with you in heaven? Zero. 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 And that's a wonderful thing. Praise God. Yes. But today in the life in which you live, there are millions of souls that are still lost. And God has called you to be his ambassador. And God has called you to be the salt and light of the earth. And God has called you to make disciples of him. God has called you to share his word and to spread his gospel to the lost. And one day, you will not have this opportunity. Because you will not need to. But today we do. And today we are alive here on this earth. Will you take this opportunity while you are alive? Will you be faithful to your call and spread the good news of Jesus Christ? Will you live your life to the fullest? Will you live your life for the glory of God? Will you live to do his will here on earth? Life provides opportunity. Being alive gives you opportunity that the dead person does not have for the Christian and for the non-Christian. You have opportunity right now that you will one day no longer have. Will you make the most of this opportunity? Or will you waste it? Death is inevitable. And because of death, we ought to enjoy life. But to enjoy the opportunities God has given you, such as repent and believe, such as spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. We make the most of the life that we have now. Next and last in this section is that life is full of the unexpected. Life is full of the unexpected, verses 11 and 12. Life is full of the unexpected. Now, 11 and 12, it's kind of hard to know where it fits in the author's desired flow in the sense of, is he starting a new section? Which it may seem, as some translations have a um, section break there. Which, that's not how Solomon wrote it in section breaks. That's how some of our translators put it, and that's not a bad thing. So is he starting a new section, or is he referring back to support a previous thought? And scholars differ on that. But in my studies, I, I, I feel that it fits better in supporting verse 1 through 6 than it does in starting a new section. I, I think the new section starts in verse 13. 
which we'll get to next time. But I think this, 11, 12, acts as support to 1 through 6, and I'll explain why. Well, I'll tell you right now. But the way... (laughs) Why wait? The way in which I think it supports verses 1 through 6 is that it, it shows, verses 11, 12, shows how unpredictable death is. The life is full of the unexpected, including death. Look at the examples he gives in verse 11. He says, again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. That you would expect the fast to win the race. You would expect the strong to win the battle, the war, etc., etc. But that's not what happened. Instead, the unexpected happened. Instead, the unpredictable happened. And so it is with life and death, that the, uh, the unexpected, the unpredictable happens. He goes on in 12. He says, for man does not know his time. Again, I think he's referring back to death. He's talking about verses 1 through 6. Like fish that are taken in an evil net. Like birds that are caught in a snare. That's what he's saying. He's saying it's like a fish, right, that's, that's caught in a net. He doesn't know. He wasn't expecting that. Like a bird caught in a trap. He wasn't expecting that. They didn't expect for them to be caught and to die. And since life is full of the unexpected, since death happens unexpectedly, how are we to live? I think that's what he's saying. He's saying, well, then we are to enjoy life now since we don't know. Enjoy every moment that you can because you don't know what the next moment holds. Tomorrow's not promised to you. Like the fish, he didn't know all of a sudden he swooped up in a net. Like the bird, he didn't know all of a sudden he's in a trap. So enjoy life now. I think it supports what he says, that that every life will end. It supports what he says, to make the most of the opportunities in life. Because life is full of the unexpected. So enjoy the life that he's given to you. Do not take the things of this life for granted, but enjoy it. Which then I think brings us to his next section, our next main point, verses 7 through 10, as far as enjoying life. And that is enjoy God's gifts in life. Enjoy God's gifts in life. Verses 7 through 10. Enjoy God's gifts in life. And first we have to acknowledge that all these gifts, or God's provision in our lives. And he commands us actually to enjoy them. Do you realize that? See, often people believe that, that Christians cannot enjoy life. That the Christian life is this sad, this unenjoyable life. But, but hey, but it's worth it because because we'll be able to enjoy eternity. And that's longer than this life, so it's worth it. But until then, life is unenjoyable. And that's just a trade-off for the Christian. That's what people think. But we're actually commanded to enjoy life. In these four verses, we see five imperatives. I'm going to combine it into four. But five commands on how we are to enjoy life. Notice that the tone difference, right? He says, go. He says, let your always, you know, let not. He says, enjoy life. Like he's telling you, do this, do this. He's commanding you to do these things. Enjoy life in these ways. And we should not be ashamed. We should not be timid to enjoy life. God has given us gifts in which we are commanded to enjoy. And they come from his gracious providing hand. And we ought to enjoy them. We ought to be thankful for them. So let's look at them. I'm categorizing them again in four 
different ways. The first one, what are we to enjoy? Food and drink. Yep. Yep. Amen, huh? Yeah. Go, eat your bread with joy. Get that bread. Drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Food and drink. It's a wonderful gift from God that we're meant to enjoy. We're meant to enjoy food. We're meant to enjoy drink. I think in many different ways. One, in just nourishment. God gives us food so we can grow. Our bodies need food. And God graciously gives us food that we need. God is the provider of our daily needs. And most of us have the luxury of a full pantry and a full fridge. And we don't need to worry or wonder if we're going to have food to eat tomorrow. It's not the case for everyone. That is God's grace in your life. He graciously gives you food for the nourishment of your body so you can grow, so you can be healthy. Enjoy that. I remember when I was younger, I'd go to tell my mom, oh, mom, I'm so hungry. Is there anything to eat? Open up the fridge. And I close it. There's nothing to eat. And my mom would hate that. What are you talking about? There's food. And I open it. No, there's nothing in here. But I mean, the thing like overflowing with food. Enjoy it. It's for nourishment. How else would we enjoy it? How about the diversity of flavors? I mean, our tongues are created by God in such a way that can distinguish many different flavors. He didn't have to create us this way. God created food and has a variety of different flavors. He didn't have to create food that way. But think about it. We can go on and on talking about our favorite foods, whether it be a pizza or, or a juicy steak or, or a bowl of pho or, or a simple sandwich or chips or candy or fruit, whatever it might be, right? Like all these different flavors. God has given us a diversity of flavors of food. Enjoy that. Or how about the fact that God uses food to bring us comfort and to bring us community? That's a gift. That's why there's this thing called comfort food. Because sometimes you just need a, a nice warm meal to bring joy in your life. Yeah? Or how about in a couple of weeks when we celebrate Thanksgiving, in which many of us will gather with community around what? Turkey. <laughs> around food. Food brings people together. Vanity? Vanity brings people together with who I know, right? We're blessed by that. Thank you, Vanity. Yeah, Vanity, yeah. Food brings people together. What a wonderful gift by God that we ought to enjoy. The problem, though, is when we take a gift, say a food, we turn into gluttony. We take a gift of drink and we turn into drunkenness. Let's not do that. Do not idolize food and drink. Enjoy food and drink and be thankful to God for all that he's provided for us. Next, celebration. Verse 8. Celebration. This is a gift from God. Listen to verse 8. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. You're like, what on earth are you talking about? White garments and oil, they are a sign of celebration. Oftentimes, special events or parties, like you get your white clothes on, you get, you get uh, your oil on like to, as a celebration. In fact, some scholars identify white garments as a celebration of life. Much like how, how black is a color, still even today, symbolizing death, right? Which often people wear at funerals. White symbolizing life. It contrasts the darkness of death. The point is to enjoy the celebrations of life. To celebrate life itself. But notice, he says, let your garments be always white. 
I think that's really significant. We don't just celebrate life when we have a wedding or when we have a birthday party and these are the only times we celebrate life. No, we celebrate life always, he says. Warren Wearsby says, quote, make every occasion a special occasion, even if it's ordinary or routine, end quote. Right, this idea that in light of death, it should make us realize, let's celebrate life always. Philippians 4.4 says, rejoice in the Lord, what? Always. Again, I will say rejoice. I mean, sometimes Christians are the saddest bunch of people. Like, you've never been around. What on earth? And don't get me wrong. There, as we looked at in Ecclesiastes, there's a time for mourning. Yes, and that's okay. But let's be challenged on the other side now of the spectrum. And let us say, rejoice always. Let us say, let your garments always be white. Celebrate this life that God has given you. He's given you another day to enjoy him and to worship him and to glorify him. So enjoy it. Celebrate life. And enjoy what God has given you. Next. Marriage. 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 Verse 9. See, we watched it, and now people get it. Verse 9. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. Can we get any amens there? Okay. (laughs) Yeah, no, you get it. You get it. You get it. Okay. Most of you aren't married. Okay, we understand that. But one day you may. But one day you may not. But marriage is meant to be enjoyed. Amen. There you go. There you go, Jason. Like, die right there. All right. And marriage is not always easy. In fact, in a lot of ways, it's very, very difficult. And sadly, many marriages, especially in America, end up in divorce, which is not God's intention for marriage. Even through the difficulty of marriage, even through the hardships that a husband and wife may face, they are to enjoy each other and enjoy the relationship that they have with one another. One day you may be married, and if so, enjoy that marriage. It is a gift from God. Enjoy it. Do not idolize your marriage. Do not idolize your spouse. Do not idolize the idea of a perfect family. But marriage is meant to be enjoyed. But it's ultimately meant to be a picture of Christ in the church. That is the true marriage. That is the ultimate marriage in which everyone who is in Christ ought to enjoy that covenant, that union that Christ has made with us. And know that neither life nor death can separate us from the bridegroom of Christ. We will enjoy him now. We will enjoy him forevermore. That we can enjoy. Every Christian can. Marriage is a gift from God that is meant to be enjoyed. Lastly, work in verse 10. Work in verse 10. We're to enjoy work. Verse 10 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom and sheol, right, and death and the grave, to which you are going. 
You don't got it there, so enjoy it now. Work is a gift from God. Do you realize that? Sadly, many people view work as a curse. Well, I don't want to work. <laughs> work was part of the perfect created world. Work was in the Garden of Eden. Work is not a result of the fall. Before the fall, Adam worked. It was part of paradise. And God has given you special gifts and special talents, and you are to enjoy that. And that could be, it could apply to your occupation, a job, it, it, it could be a hobby, it could maybe even be a recreational activity. That The point here is to not just sit there idle doing nothing, but enjoy the talents that God has given you and put them to good work. Enjoy that work. And like any of these things, we, we, we can idolize these gifts. We, we, we can become workaholics. It's not what he's saying. There is a time for rest and relaxation. We shouldn't just be constantly working. But some of us may need to be challenged to enjoy the work. To not avoid work altogether, but to see the enjoyment we can have even through work. These are gifts. These are not the only gifts that God gives us. But these are gifts that Solomon says, enjoy. Enjoy this in your life. These are gifts from God. Well, Solomon observes the reality of death. But it causes him to promote life. And it causes him to promote the enjoyment of life. And he first answers the question, why should we enjoy life? Why should we? We should enjoy life, he says, because of the realities of death. Death is a real thing. And it's something that we cannot ignore. It's something we cannot avoid. And so in light of death, we ought to be brought to, to a better and fuller appreciation of life. It ought to cause us then to enjoy the life that God has given us, is what he says. He then answers the question, well then what should we enjoy in life? Well, we should enjoy all the gifts that God has graciously provided for us. He's given us so much, and, and we are commanded to enjoy what he's given to us. And so enjoy it. Enjoy the things of this life. Do not mistake Christianity for, well, if it's enjoyable, if it, if it feels good, if I like it, then it must be sinful. And, and, and I should probably stop. Do not make Christianity uh, or mistake Christianity for, for, for a, a, a joyless life that, that's miserable all the way up until you reach heaven. It's just going to be miserable once you get to heaven, then it'll be good. No, Christianity is full of enjoyment. In fact, it's the most joyous life ever. How can the Christian be so, so full of joy? Because of Christ who lives in him. See, death, death is the destroyer of joy. It really is. When we see death in this world, when, when we feel the effects of death from others, I'm not sure there's anything that greater that sucks our joy than death. Sin and death entered into this world through one man, Adam. And we're all born under Adam. And therefore are born sinners. And as a result, we experience death. I read earlier Romans 6.23, which says, For the wages of sin is death. I did not finish. I didn't finish the sentence. 
The rest of the sentence says, it says for the wages of sin is death, but he goes on and says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is why, Christian, we can have hope because of Christ. Because Jesus is the victor over death. And there is hope in him. See, we have been rescued from the curse of death. And we have been redeemed. How? How have we been redeemed? Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For his written curse is everyone who is hanged on a tree. See, he became a curse on the cross. And he died the death that we deserve so that we can live. And three days later, he rose from the dead, conquering over sin and death. And what does that mean? What does it mean that he rose from the dead? It means, Christian, we do not have a dead hope. But we have a living hope in Jesus Christ. Even through the perils and the darkness of death, the light of Christ breaks through that. And he has redeemed it because he is the new Adam. And we have hope and we have life in him. And so even though there's still death around us, can we enjoy life? Yes. Because he got rid of the curse. Because he has redeemed it. And so yes, it's okay. We can enjoy food. And we can celebrate life and marriage and work and all the gifts from God. And we can do all things now for the glory of him. And we can enjoy living for him. Because Christ has redeemed us, Christian. And he's redeemed the curse of death. So do you enjoy living for him? Do you enjoy life? Christian, live for the glory of God. And enjoy him. Enjoy him forever. And if you are not a Christian, you do not know this hope. You do not have hope outside of Jesus Christ. The death around you that you see is the death that awaits you. But that's not the real death. That's just a foretaste. There is eternal death that awaits you. But in Jesus Christ, you have hope. In Jesus Christ, there is hope because he can set you free from the bondage of sin and the chains of death. And I pray that by God's grace, you would place your faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ, that you would repent of your sins, that you would turn to him in worship. If you are a Christian, you have hope. You have hope. Christian, know that this life is not all there is. But Christ conquered sin and death. And you share 100% completely in his victory. And one day you will enjoy eternal life with him. And until that day, enjoy the life that he's given you today. Make the most of your one life. May your life be a sacrifice to him. Live for his glory, for the worship, and the praise of his name. Let's pray.
Lord God, we thank you for the life that we have in Christ. God, as we see the death around us, Lord, I pray that would bring us to dependence on you, that it would bring us to a better enjoyment of the life in which you've given to us. God, help us make the most of our opportunities. Help us, God, love the ones that we have. Help us, God, to worship you with our lives. Lord, pray that your spirit minister to our hearts. Give us comfort where we need comfort. Give us hope. Give us trust. Give us faith. May we worship you, God. May we live for you. I pray, Lord, your spirit be working in each of our hearts, showing us your glory. To your praise we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.